You're listening to an audio sermon from Sovereign Grace Church Toronto. For more information, visit sovgracesto.org. Oh, good afternoon. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Josh, thank you for your very kind words. It's been a blast staying with Josh and Nina and their kids, and um, origami humbles me, by the way, just so you be aware of that. Ethan and I, we couldn't get it figured out, quite, quite, quite honestly. Uh, it, is, it is just a joy to be with you. Um, I wanted to, to come um, because I wanted to personally look you in the eye and thank you for your partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. And you as a church are contributing significantly and strengthening our family of churches. And I'm not just saying that generally. Let me me tell you why. First of all, Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto is the only Sovereign Grace Church in Canada, right? Without you, we have no presence as a denomination. Uh, we, We hope that changes here in Canada, but thank you for representing us so well. Because it's not just your presence in Canada it's your gospel presence here in this part of Toronto and Ontario. You are, you are a church who loves the gospel. Um, as Janine said so well, has been built on the gospel, where the gospel affects all of our life. The church has been built that way. And so people walk into a gospel culture when they come to Sovereign Grace Church of of Toronto. And just one expression, unique expression of this church, I think, as I spend time with you and was reminded again last night, you are a praying people and a praying church. And I don't think I've encountered another Sovereign Grace Church like you in that way, who consistently prays and and desires to pray. So thank you for praying. And I know some of those prayers are for the other churches in our denomination and sovereign grace. But, but the gospel is not something just that you have here. Uh, you have a desire for the gospel to be made known. And so the fact that you would do this music camp that you've done and open it up to people who may not know Christ is a wonderful expression of your desire to see the gospel spread. Your, your support of Rachel as you send her to Scotland. Uh, she just left recently, is that right, Josh? Last weekend, oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, Thank you for sending her. There's gospel work that's being done through that ministry, 20 Schemes, which uh, we have a relationship with as an organization. So those are just some of the ways that you are living out gospel ministry, and by doing so, you are strengthening Sovereign Grace Churches. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, got one other question before we look at this text. Uh, Ferdy and Karis, are you engaged Okay, I, I got a clue when Josh was saying what he was saying and Tim leaned, leaned over to me and said, man, Ferdy's, Ferdy's under the gun now. He's, he's, he's got pressure. So I thought, okay, Ferdy, here, um, here's what you could do. You could disappear again, right? As, and then come back with your hair dyed blonde again, right? Just to mess with Josh, just to get him back. But I, I don't want to suggest anything like that, so... Uh, it, was, it was fun to see you be at as members today. So thank you for doing that on a Sunday. I could be a part of it. All right, I want to um, read you a statement, and I want to see if you recognize it. Here it is. We are awed by God, revealing Christ, expecting the Spirit. 
You recognize that? Yeah, what is that? Your mission statement, right? That's the mission statement, sort of captured in a sentence, really, um, by this church. And in revealing Christ, you say, we believe that Christ is the plot line of the entire Bible. And every page reveals his glory and cross to us. In response to that, God has called each believer to become a living letter that reveals Christ to others. We are to live in a way that Christ is seen in us and people are drawn to trust and worship him. We believe all Christian growth is increasing conformity to Christ's likeness in our character and life. We believe our conversations with others are intended to reveal Christ and his gospel. So when I read that mission statement, it told me a lot about you. It told me that you are a people that are not only lovers of Jesus Christ and his gospel, but you are a people that believe that God has called you to do some radical things for Jesus Christ. And so today I want to talk to you about your life. I want to talk to you about your life individually as a believer. I want to talk to you about your life as a church family. I want to talk about our lives together in our family of churches known as Sovereign Grace. I want to talk to you about the kind of culture, the kind of culture you're building here and what you're going to give your life to. So that as you peer into the future, as we look into the future today, you will anticipate with faith of doing some world-changing things for Christ. See, you, you don't have to know a lot of things to do some world-changing things for Christ. But you've got to know one thing, and you've got to know it well, and you've got to want to be able to sacrifice for it and give your life to it. And you know what that one thing is? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to see from this text here in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8, that the power of the gospel is so unstoppable in our lives that if we by faith harness ourselves to the power of the gospel, we and you will do some radical things for Jesus as we seek to fulfill the great commission together that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. That's important because in sovereign grace, we, we plant and we build our churches on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want all of ministry and all of our mission and all of the ways that we live our lives to be gospel-centered. As you say in your mission statement, we want to live our life in a way that Jesus is revealed through us. So as I spent time praying for this service and praying for you, I, I prayed that the words found in this passage, not my words, but the words in this passage would stir you and excite you and deepen your faith for what God has called you to do as a local church, because we're gonna see in this text that the power of the gospel produces growth. That's really what we're gonna see in these few verses. And and by the way, I'm gonna use this word gospel a lot today. I don't wanna assume that we all know what that means. Here's the gospel, that God the Father chose to send God the Son into this world. He came as man and God, a perfect man, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death for my sins 
and for your sins, receiving the wrath that we deserve so that we will not experience eternal condemnation, but we can have eternal life in him. And he rose on the third day by the power of God. He appeared to many. He ascended to heaven. And one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. And then there's our response to the gospel. That when we see that truth as the spirit works in our life. And we turn from our sin. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And his finished work alone We are saved from wrath. We are born again. The Bible says, if you call upon his name, you will be saved. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, call upon his name today and he will save you. That's the gospel and the response to the gospel. Okay, title of my message is Gospel Growth and we're gonna read Colossians 1 verses three through eight. We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. May God bless the preaching of his word. As Josh mentioned, Jill and I, we've been married for 40 years. We celebrate our 40th anniversary in May. We have three married daughters and 10 grandchildren. And so when we are all together, it is loud and chaotic and fun. And then they go home. That's, that's the benefit of being a grandparent. When our girls were younger, you may do something in your home if you have children. I know the Tongs do this. We were talking about this, I believe it was today. Uh, Every so often, we would take our three girls and we would back them up against a door frame in our house and we'd take a pencil and we'd mark their height and their date and their initials. And then maybe six months later or maybe a year later, we would back them up against that door frame again and we would mark their height and the date and their initials. Our our door frame in our house was just filled with all these pencil lines and dates and initials. We, We did that because... As parents, we didn't really see their growth each and every day. But when we backed them up against that door frame and saw those markers of physical growth, we realized that they were growing. Now, I tell you that story because Paul begins this letter to the Colossians, to the church in Colossae, by speaking about growth. In fact, he points to specific markers of God's growth, or specific markers of growth in the Colossians' lives, like the markers on that doorpost, as proof that the gospel had come to them. The gospel was powerful and advancing. The question is why? Why does Paul begin this letter talking about growth and proof that the gospel, through its power, was producing this growth? Well, probably as you know, Paul is writing this letter from his prison cell in Rome. 
And he wanted to address a couple of major issues that were brought to him by this man, Epaphras, that we were introduced to here in verse 7, who was a part of the church in Colossae, and he was coming to Paul to get apostolic help and wisdom. And after hearing all that he did, one of the issues that Paul needed to address was the fact there were false teachers among them in Colossae, claiming basically that there's something more that you needed to know or something more that you needed to do that needed to be added to the gospel to be right with God. For example, the false teachers were saying there's this far greater knowledge that you need to have and possess and and obtained to be right with God. Colossians chapter two, verse eight. Let me read that verse. Paul is warning against the false teachers and he says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. He's going after the false teachers there. There were false teachers that were teaching this asceticism, that these things that you either need to refrain from or do, it's basically works that needed to be added to the gospel to be right with God. Colossians chapter two, look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So Paul is writing this letter because there are these false teachers in Colossae who are basically saying to the believers there, the gospel isn't sufficient. There's these other things that you need to know or do or refrain from to be right with God. In that sense, these false teachers, they were shrinking the gospel. We live in a culture, brothers and sisters, that attempts to shrink the gospel as well. The world, it offers us knowledge and opportunity and hope for advancement. And those things aren't wrong necessarily, but they offer a perceived power about them in a way that can shrink the gospel in our lives. So what Paul does is he comes running into the middle of this confusion that these false teachers are creating and, and he firmly makes his stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. He says, Colossians, here's what I want to point out. These false teachers are wrong. They're wrong and proof that the only thing you need to be right with God is the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in the inherent power of the gospel itself that is in your midst and is bearing fruit and growing, increasing, Colossians chapter one, verse six. See, for for the believer, for us as Christians, there is nothing greater than the power of the gospel because it will work in our lives. It will produce growth. It will grow us in Christ's likeness and it will grow in such a way that more and more people are reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, like our kids, we may not see our growth in Christ each and every day, but we know that the power of the gospel is progressively 
at work and bearing fruit and increasing in our lives. See, the, the power of the gospel, it does produce growth. But here's the question I want us to answer. How do you know if the power of the gospel is producing growth in your life? In your life as an individual Christian, in, in the life of Sovereign Grace Church Toronto, in the, in the lives and the churches of Sovereign Grace as a denomination? Well, this text, like those markers on the doorpost in our home, in the Tong home, this text gives us three markers of gospel growth and can help you to know if the power of the gospel is producing growth in your life. So here's the first marker. Marker number one, gospel growth is seen in us. Gospel growth is seen in us. Now, Paul, hearing this report from Epaphras in his prison cell in Rome, breaks out in thanksgiving as we see in verse three. Not only in thanksgiving, he is excited. He has joy because he hears proof that the gospel has come to the Colossians and is in fact producing evident growth. In fact, what, what Paul does is Paul thanks God for specific evidences of growth in the Colossians' lives that Epaphras has reported. Let, let's look at those in verses three through the first part of verse five. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, there's the first evidence. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love, there's a second evidence, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope, there's a third evidence, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is saying to the Colossians, look what's happening in this church. There is the evidence of a faith that wasn't there before. There's evidence of love for the saints and for God that you didn't have before. There's an abiding hope that was not in your life before. And what's interesting, as you study the New Testament, you know that that triad of virtues, faith, love, and hope, it's repeated over and over again as, as markers of Christian maturity. So if you want to know if the gospel is producing growth in your life, is your faith deepening in Christ? Is your love for others and your love for God, is it, is it growing and is your hope even more secure, even when you walk through trials or your world is being shaken? See, once God regenerates our hearts through the work of the Spirit, and we respond to the gospel, and then we seek to apply the gospel daily to our lives, it has, an, it has a power that is inherently unstoppable. And it will do this in our life. It will deepen our faith. It will grow us in our love for God and others. It will help us to stand more firm in hope. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we will sin. We may struggle. We may fall. But he who began a good work in us, he'll do what? He'll carry it to completion. The power of the gospel produces growth in each of our lives individually. And that's wonderful news. So here's... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find just five minutes this week. And if you're a mom with young kids, cut it in half. Find two minutes this week, right? Where you can get alone with God. And I want you to do this. I want you to reflect on how the gospel has brought about growth in your life over the last year. Let's just use a marker of a year. 
And you might think, is, is that okay to do? That, that may sound prideful. It may sound like, well, look how, look how, look how much I've grown. Well, I think if you, if you go through that exercise, you're gonna realize where you have grown and you're gonna realize that you can't fully take credit for your growth because it's grace and the power of the gospel that is working in your life. And so that moment of reflection turns into a moment of worship and thanksgiving where you thank God for his unstoppable power at work in your life. Okay, second, second marker of gospel growth. Number two, gospel growth is seen among us. It's seen among us. Not just in ourselves individually, but among us. Let's, let's read the second half of verse five and then verse six. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does, where? Among you. Among you. What would have happened historically at this time is that Paul would have written this letter and it would have been sent from Rome and taken to the church in Colossae. It was most likely read in the other churches in the Lycus Valley there as well, like in the church at, at Troas. We, we know from chapter four, verse seven and verse eight that Paul did not deliver this letter. Um, he sent uh, Tychicus and he also sent Onesimus. One, Onesimus is described in chapter four, verse eight as, as one of them, as one of the people of Colossae. And so when Tychicus and Onesimus arrived in Colossae, the entire church would have been gathered just like this. And one of those men most likely read that letter out loud from verse one to the end of chapter four to the gathered church. I often wonder what it would have been like to be in that church on that day and to hear one of those men read this letter from Paul. I think it was a significant moment in the life of this church when they begin to hear verse three from Paul, we always thank God for you. Did the reader stop and pause and just allow that to sink in? That Paul was thanking God for them. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and maybe Onesimus looks up and he looks around the room and he sees brothers and sisters who he would say, they've grown in their faith. Because of the love that you have for all the saints, to look around the room and others sitting there to begin to look around the room and see how this church had grown in their love for one another and their love for God, which I believe marks this church, by the way. It's very clear that you love one another. In, in that moment, if you're sitting there listening to this letter being read, do you, do you say, yeah, John has grown in his love for the saints. Nina has grown in her love for God. And for the hope that is laid up for you in heaven to look around and think about what people were going through in their lives and yet they remained hopeful. I believe it was a wonderful moment in the life of this church as they heard even the first few words of this 
letter read to them. I, th- I think it's a, it's a wonderful example in the New Testament we should follow. So I, I want to give you an assignment. Now, I have no authority to do this. I'm not the king, as Josh pointed out. I have, actually, I have a lot of bosses. All of the council of elders, like every elder in Sovereign Grace, is my boss. So I have no authority to do this, but it doesn't stop me from giving assignments anyway, okay? Here's what I want you to consider doing. Devote one of your small group meetings sometime in the next six months to doing this. And what I mean by that is whoever leads that group, you send out an email or a, you're, you, you're a WhatsApp app church, whatever that is, a, a WhatsApp text out, whatever that is, get it out and tell people that you want them to come that evening with evidences of grace, with where you see every other person in that church growing in the grace of God. And then just take the evening and do, devote the meeting to that and just go person by person. We, we actually did this a few years ago at Covenant Fellowship Church where I'm a pastor. We, we call our small groups community groups. We asked our community group leaders to do this. And the reports that we got back that evening uh, from those meetings were so encouraging. People came. They easily saw how God was at work in everyone else. And so they, they just shared those. And they said, we, couldn't st- we just couldn't end our meeting just sharing these evidences of grace. We needed to sing. We needed to worship because we were aware that the power of the gospel was at work in our lives. We saw so much grace and what turned into just something that was horizontal moved vertical. It was doxology in that sense. It was worship. So consider doing that in small groups. Now, we know from this text that the power of the gospel not only produces more Christ-likeness in us progressively over time, we know from the language being used here that the power of the gospel reaches out to more people and quantitatively grows as the gospel is proclaimed. Peter T. O'Brien in his commentary says, fruit-bearing and increasing, the increasing part uh, or marks of the gospel. So as a church, think about who was not here two years ago or three years ago and how God has grown this church. But let me tell you this. I am so glad that verse six is in my Bible. And let me, let me tell you why. When it comes to doing evangelism and reaching out to people, I just don't find I'm very good at it. I, I invite people to church. No one ever comes. I share the gospel with people. It seems like no one's born again. If you have that experience, there are times when you can just be discouraged, right? You think, what? why keep doing it when it's not bearing fruit and, and increasing? And then as I studied verse six more, I found this quote from William Hendrickson, help me, it gave me faith. Here's what Hendrickson says. In Colossians chapter one, verse six, Paul is placing all the emphasis upon the fact that by God's power and grace, it is the gospel itself that is thus bearing fruit and growing. The gospel never depends on man. Stop there. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that unburden you? It did me. The gospel never depends on man, not even on Paul. It is God's work in which he is pleased to use man. That unburdens you. That frees you up. All you've got to do is invite and share the gospel. And the results of that are all in God's hands. Okay, 
We, we see that the gospel growth occurs with, within us as individuals. We see it occurs among us as a, as a church family and hopefully as a family of churches. But this is not just a local phenomenon. It leads to the third marker of gospel growth. Number three, gospel growth is seen beyond us. It's seen beyond us. You, you saw that language there. Let's read it again. Second half of verse five and then verse six. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, so you're growing as an individual Christian, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Now, now keep in mind context here. You've got to keep in mind why one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to address the false teachers and their false teaching. And so encountering the false teachers with this bogus philosophy that there's something greater that you need to know or do or refrain from than the gospel, Paul points the Colossians to the evidences of gospel growth that is happening within them as individual Christians, that is happening among them as a local church. And he said that kind of growth and fruit bearing, that's happening all over the world to expand the fact that gospel growth is seen beyond us. And he does this because he he intentionally also wants to show us as believers that we are involved in something far grander and greater than ourselves. And it reminds us that we are a part of a gospel mission that is a worldwide mission. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So what Paul is doing here is Paul is intentional to tell the Colossians about the gospel's effect all over the world because he knows that that will encourage them in their local outreach and their local evangelism efforts. And my and if you study the New Testament, most likely he told other churches about what was happening in Colossae because those churches would be encouraged in their evangelism as well. See, what's, what's clear in the New Testament is that local churches aren't these isolated entities. Rather, we are, we are connected. We are interdependent upon one another, meaning that there's more that we can do together as a denomination or as a family of churches than any one church can do alone. And so Paul was aware of this interdependence in these New Testament churches, and so he wanted to remind them of the gospel's power and the fruit that it was bearing all over the world to encourage that church, which is one of the reasons I love being a part of Sovereign Grace, because we share something together, which is the Great Commission and the furthering of the Great Commission And we often get a glimpse into how the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world through the telling of stories. And so I just want to tell you a few stories, the intention of which are to give God glory, first and foremost, but to encourage you that you are part of something far grander and greater. And I pray that it encourages you in your local outreach here. So let me begin my my stories by by saying this. Have you ever noticed that you don't get to choose at what period in history you get to live? You don't get to choose that, do you? God chooses that for you. I'm I'm pointing that out because I believe we're, we're living in a wonderful time in redemptive history. A really wonderful time in redemptive history. Partly because, certainly in Canada 
And, and in the United States, we are living more in a post-Christian culture, aren't we? And, and the, the darker the culture gets, the brighter the gospel shines. And so we're living in a time where we have an opportunity as individual Christians and as a local church and as a family of churches to shine the gospel light into the darkness And when people are attracted to that light and drawn to Christ, they will be born again. The distinction becomes more clear. It may be harder, it may be more difficult, but there's a distinction that's more clear between light and darkness. We're living in that time. We're also living in a wonderful time throughout the world where church planting has has enjoyed this resurgence through organizations like Acts 29, um, the North American Mission Board, Redeemer, what Tim Keller is doing in New York City in the planting of churches, and by God's grace alone, Sovereign Grace Churches, a small denomination, is playing a very small part. Not because it's... Church planting is enjoying this resurgence, but because that's something we've always done for 35 years, is to, is to plant local churches as one means to reach the lost with the gospel. And, and despite the challenges that Josh referenced a few moments ago that we've faced as a denomination, get this, we've planted 10 churches in the last two years. It's, it's all by God's grace. We planted Grace Family Church in Kingston, Jamaica, uh, Joel Bain has led that church plant. They had their very first meeting in January of this year. He sent me an email. Um, they're, they're meeting, um, not right in Kingston, but sort of a suburb outside of Kingston. They're actually meeting in a country club. It looks kind of nice, quite frankly, to me. I'm, I'm going to go see him sometime because it looked look pretty appealing. But um, their very first Sunday service, he said, we had a total of approximately 40 adults and a good number of children, which is very good for a first meeting in, in, in Jamaica where they are pre- preach, preaching reformed truth. Um, he said, now many of them were family and friends joining us for that particular Sunday, but it was especially encouraging to have three families who live in the immediate area, two of whom we had never met face to face before. And those two families said, we are so glad you're here. And one of them was certain that they were coming back. So we're reaching people in an area of Jamaica that we've never been able to reach before. We're planting Redemption Hill Church in Des Moines, Iowa, led by Sean Powers. I just saw Sean about three weeks ago. I said, well, how's it going? And he said, oh, it's going, it's going great. Uh, they have about 40 people that gather uh, on a Sunday morning, and they are reaching their, their community with the gospel. We're planting Grace City Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. Joshua Earl's leading that endeavor. We've planted Trinity Grace Church in Athens, Tennessee. That's being led by Wald Alexander. And we just did a mission video on this church plant. And uh, I know Josh is going to show it to you at some point, so I won't say a whole lot, but there's a a story of a 70-year-old man who was invited to this church. He wasn't following Christ. He was not a Christian. And he just, this church, like what you would do, this church just embraced this man. And they welcomed him. And they loved him. And the reason he kept coming back to this church is he said, I've never met people like this before who genuinely care, who genuinely know what's going on in my life. When I heard that, I thought about you, actually. Because you're a church that's like that. And those people over time loved him and got to know him, befriended him, they shared the gospel with him. And there's this wonderful picture 
in this video of this 70-year-old man being baptized in some river or pond somewhere near Athens, and he comes up out of the water, he's just got this big old smile on his face. Now, if we planted that church only to reach that 70-year-old man, it was worth it, right? See, keep in mind, there's something about your corporate witness here at Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto. And people are going to come in these doors and they're going to need your, your, your friendship and your love. And you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with them. We planted Redeemer Fellowship in Newark, Delaware, led by Joel Shorey. We sent about 40 people with Joel from Covenant Fellowship Church uh, in Newark, uh, Delaware. It's the University of Delaware, so it's a university town. Let me tell you a couple of stories. I'm going to not use names here, but they just had their second round of baptisms uh, as, a, as a church plant. They started a year ago, so this is the second round of baptisms. So there was a young lady that came to Redeemer Fellowship through her boyfriend. My first interaction with her, says Joel, was through angry tears as she didn't know what to do with her boyfriend and his new relationship with Jesus. Everything had changed for them, and she was frustrated by his new allegiance to Christ. She wanted me to tell him to love her more, also just basically mean make him love me like he used to. That was only the first of many conversations I had with her since her boyfriend had fallen in love with Jesus. And since that time, through many conversations, she has fallen in love with Jesus Christ and has given her life to him. The the change in her life is remarkable, and now she is a significant part of our church. That's the power of the gospel, isn't it? There's another young lady that came. She came through the invitation of a professor at the University of Delaware. When when Joel first met her, she clearly uh, was immersed in what he called gender dysphoria. She was just confused about gender. Later, she found, he found out that she had been identifying as a man and was in a transgender relationship for years. But since coming to Redeemer Fellowship and hearing the gospel proclaim and seeing the gospel lived out among our members, she has been shown that she has a far clearer, far greater identity in Christ. She now is very clear that, about the fact that she was created by God as a woman And that she gets to live for Jesus out of that identity. And that is, in her mind, good. And it's for his glory. She was baptized on that Sunday. Gender confusion cleared up. No man can do that. That's the power of the gospel. Saving this young woman out of her gender confusion and building her identity in Christ. That's why we plant churches. It's to reach people like her. We're planted Sovereign Grace Church in Santa Ana, California, Grace City Church in the Frankfurt section of Northeast Philadelphia. It is a, it is a tough place. I've been there, um, preached in that church. It is, it is, there's, there's, there's gangs, there's, there's drugs, there's crime. And Stephen Bound and his wife and a few handful of folks have just given their life there. Now, they, they rent, they have their own building um, where they rent this storefront and they keep all, all of the curtains and everything up so that as people walk by, they're looking in. And Stephen said they'll just walk in. And he's had some great conversations with people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We planned Sovereign Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas in Cave Springs, Arkansas. Church of God's Grace in Zaprisk, 
Croatia. Um, I just saw Mario Vasinovich a few weeks ago um, who planted this church, and he, he just said, Mark, we've got 15 people. That's mega church numbers in Croatia where Christians are hated and there's a lot of persecution. We planted uh, Iglesia Gracia Soberana, and that's more Spanish, in Sao, Sao Paulo, Brazil, planted by Fabiano Maduras. Um, currently, what we are planting, we just planted another church in Sydney, Australia. Right now, probably um, in January, we'll officially start a church plant in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. That's the largest city in Bolivia. Uh, we have a church plant that will happen late 2020, early 2021 in Addis Ababa, uh, Ethiopia. We have church plants planned in Prattville, Alabama, and in Glendive, Montana. And the reason we are planting in this Glendive, Montana, which is like 10,000 people, is because about a year ago, we adopted Emmaus Road Church in Bozeman, Montana, and they are planning to send out their first church plant in the first few years of the life of that church. Uh, let me just, a couple of other things just to tell you, and then I'll wrap this up. We... Um, in the Philippines right now, it's really remarkable, the, the favor that God has given us. We have um, two churches in the Philippines, one in Cebu City and one in Bohol. But we are also relating to a man that has a church in Manila. It's about a church of about 1,100 people. It's led by Jeffrey Joe. And um, we're, he, he's wanting to be adopted into Sovereign Grace. Not only him, there are 20 other churches in the Philippines who have filled out some sort of form that Dave Taylor made up, I don't think I've ever seen it, um, asking them if they want to formalize their desire to be adopted into Sovereign Grace. And so we're trying to figure out how to steward that kind of thing. He just did a pastors and wives conference in Cebu City in March, and 80 people were there, which is really very encouraging for us. In Liberia, uh, we have um, a man by the name of Diona Thomas that we've been relating to for years, He's planted five churches, started a pastor's college, and he's saying to us, I want to start Sovereign Grace Churches of West Africa. It's very humbling to, for a man to do that. And there's, there's so much going on in Mexico. We currently have uh, nine churches in Mexico. One of those is actually in Costa Rica with two more requesting adoption. And so I, it's my prayer that in the next couple of years, we will have Sovereign Grace Churches Mexico. And I say that because... I want to pray with you that we will have Sovereign Grace Churches Canada someday, amen? May, may God do that, that work. And, and through the church there in Juarez, Mexico, uh, we, we've got relationships in Cuba. There are two churches in Cuba that are interested in being adopted, and there's a man who wants to return from Spain back to Cuba, knowing he's going to get persecuted and plant a church in the, uh, in the Havana, Cuba area. So... Those are just a few updates that I, that I wanted to, to give you. Uh, let me just tell you one more. Um, we do plan to plant a church in Madrid, Spain in 2021-2022. And that, that man, his name is Gabriel Reyes. He was in Louisville for a time, attended Southern Seminary, um, and was a part of the Louisville church. Is now in Juarez doing an internship, and he wants to go plant a church in Madrid, which is not an easy place to plant a church. So, so why, am I, why am I telling you all this? Why am I telling you these, two, these stories? I'm telling you for two reasons. First, brothers and sisters, we must believe in the power of the gospel. We must believe in the inherent power of the gospel. Do you realize what we have in this gospel that God has saved us with and given to us to steward? 
Terry Virgo says this, it is of no small thing to be the world's only light, to be the fulfillment of centuries of ancient prophetic promises, to be heralding the day of the Lord, to hold the message of history in your hands. This gospel is not some thing that's written in in words. It's not some abstract power. It's real. And we hold this message, the message of history in our hands. And to be the world's one and only answer, it is our indescribable privilege to be caught up by the Holy Spirit in the greatest movement in history, the proclaiming of Christ to every tribe, people, and nation. Let us be a people who believe in the power of the gospel, amen? Here's a second reason I'm telling you this. We believe that local churches plant other local churches. And if that's true, and it is true because that's a New Testament pattern, everyone sitting here has a role. So what do you do with that role? I think you do what Epaphras did. Look, look at verse seven again, and then the verse eight. Just as you learned it, so they learned the gospel, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Now listen to how Paul describes him. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras was a faithful minister of the gospel. And all of us are likewise to called to be faithful ministers of the gospel. See, I, I point that out because we gotta be very careful how we define mission. We gotta be careful that we don't define it too narrowly. Mission is not only in the going, It is, it's a part of mission, it's not only in the going, mission is also in the staying, and in the staying, the sending. See, participation in our our mission begins with building a strong local church as you faithfully are involved in the church, strengthening it so that one day some will be sent so that this local church can plant other local churches in Ontario, and I believe you're gonna plant churches around the world. And that faithfulness is expressed in so many ways that seem ordinary to us, but I wanna point out to you that they are not ordinary things at all, they're actually extraordinary things in the sight of God. Faithful things like your regular participation here in the Sunday service each and every week, your faithful participation in small group meetings or in prayer meetings. Those are not ordinary things. Those are extraordinary things because they show that the power of the gospel is at work in your life. Your sacrificial service here, your consistent evangelism, the the generous giving of your finances and money so that mission can occur, your, your passionate prayer, those things may become to seem ordinary to you, but I want to propose that they are not ordinary things at all, but they are radical, extraordinary things in the sight of God because they reveal his grace at work in your life. See, the the mission is not only in the going, the mission is in the staying and in the sending. 
So if you are sent here and you are involved in church planting, or maybe you planted church, or you're sent from here to do cross-cultural mission, you're participating in mission. But if you spend the rest of your life here faithfully building this church, you are, you are participating in mission because strong local churches plant other strong local churches. So brothers and sisters, be faithful, a faithful minister of the gospel. See, the power of this gospel, it is bearing fruit and it is increasing in your life, in Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto, in our denomination and in so many other denominations around the world because the gospel has a power that is unstoppable. Let's pray. As we go to pray, I, I want to just share just a prophetic impression that as Josh mentioned this morning, this has no authority at all. This is the authority in our lives, the word of God. And so what I'm about to share must be submitted to the word of God. You must just consider it. You must weigh it as 1 Corinthians 14 talks about. So you got to get it right. But as I was taking a walk this morning and I was... I was praying for your church. I was very affected by what I believe I was hearing from the Lord. and It moved me to tears. I'm walking along in this busy street crying <laughs> because of what the Lord gave me for you. I believe it's for you. I believe the Lord wants you to be aware of his favor and of his pleasure because you have built a church on strong, good foundations. Brett and Janine testified to that earlier. Building this church on strong gospel foundations maybe has taken longer than what you wanted or what you thought or what you expected. But the foundation that you've built here has been a foundation that God has built through your efforts that is clearly rooted in the gospel and it's a foundation that I believe is needed for mission in Canada. Canada in particular, but also throughout the world. There's something about your gospel centrality that people are gonna see here because you've built so well. And because you have built that foundation so well, I believe that the Lord is going to start a time where you're going to plant and send out people to plant churches First of all, in Ontario and maybe beyond. And this verse just came to mind as I was praying for you. These are the words of Jesus from John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, look. He wants you to see. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See, you've been building, you've been focused in on building this church and that's been a good thing and you've built a good foundation and the Lord is pleased but he wants you to lift up your eyes and as Jesus says, and see that the fields are ripe, are, are white for harvest. The Lord wants you to see that today, that as you look out, that he's going to bring a harvest, a gospel harvest as you faithfully share the gospel. I believe he's going to work in ways that he's going to grow your church, not only in Christ's likeness, but also by adding more people. And some of those people are going to be sent from here to plant churches 
maybe in this part of Toronto, maybe in Ontario, maybe in Canada, and I really do believe outside of North America that this church is going to be used in that particular way. And that's, that's a big thing. But I was aware of God's pleasure and God's favor for you, I believe. And he wants you to lift up your eyes and to see that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for how you've built this church for the last 15 years as we heard talked about today. You've, you've done a good work, O oh Lord, through these people and you deserve all the glory and all the credit and all the honor. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. I pray that each person here that's a part of this church would be aware uniquely today of your presence and of your favor and of your pleasure. That they would know that you would say, well done. Because they have built a strong foundation. But it's a foundation that you want to use for mission And I pray, Lord, that you would help this church now to see that a time is coming where they're going to look, they're going to lift up their eyes, and they're going to see a harvest. I pray, Lord, that that there would be a harvest from people sharing the gospel, that members, as they reach out and befriend coworkers, as they they speak to to people in their neighborhood, that people would be born again. We plead together before your throne of grace. We ask that you would save many, Lord, in the Toronto area and that you would use this church to do so. I pray, Lord, that you would give them faith to plant churches. Maybe just even one, Lord, as a next step, Lord. Bring resources. Bring the man to plant the church. Bring people to participate on church planting. And do it in such a way that this church is not depleted in the sending, but strengthened in the sending. Lord, bring more people and more resources so that another church can be planted to reach a person like that person in Newark, Delaware, who's confused about their sexual identity and save them. May there be stories that continue to come from this church because they looked up and they saw that the harvest, that it's white for the harvest. Do that for your glory and fame, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.